Hey, Jay, how are you doing? Hey, Kipper, how are you doing, buddy? Good, we got to stop meeting like this. Yeah, this is going to be tag team today. You remember last Sunday, Tim Wright mentioned the speaking team, and I do like our Thursday morning speaking team, which can sometimes get pretty lively and intense as we discuss the text for that week from the Bible. And sometimes it's so good, afterwards we think, oh, if we only could have recorded it. Man, that would have been so good. We could have, we could have shown that because it's so hard to recreate it. So we're going we're gonna to try. We're going to try. We're going to try to bring a little flavor of our speaking team into the service today, uh, sitting right here and talking about the text. So uh, when Dave Rank heard about this approach that we're going to try to sit right here and not get up and move around, he said, yeah, right. Jay and Kip staying seated, right? Yeah. He said, you're going to have to put uh, belt buckles, belt buckles on, the, on the stools. Well, buckle up, all right, because uh, here we go. And uh, hello to everyone that's here. Thanks for being here. We're going to look into God's Word, and we've given you a bulletin outline right in your bulletin, and I encourage you to get that out, and we're giving you the kind of the main idea right up front yeah. on the top. We're going to be looking at this very detailed, so be sure to take this out. Follow along with us. So kind of here's the big idea, the New Testament in general, and we're looking, of course, particularly at the end of James chapter 3 and the beginning of James 4, tells us that we struggle with a threefold source of evil, something that, that creates conflict and tension and self-destruction in our lives. And that when these uh, three sources of evil work together, when they're choreographed against us, then it can really mess up a lot of things. Our relationship with God, our walk with God, our relationships with each other, and, and even internally it does a lot of destruction. And those three sources are the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is an intimidating threesome. We call it a terrible trio. Uh, but there's hope. That's not the end. Uh, notice that last sentence there, victory is possible because defeating those enemies is God's will. It's his passionate desire for you and for me. So let me, uh, let's zero in on three words on that main point that Kip just read. In the second line, it says, when choreographed together. That, that means that... Um, this is called the unholy trinity. Um, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it, it, they're like a trio singing in harmony, but with Satan uh, being the lead singer. Terrible song, though. <laughs> Bad song, but a powerful, strong song when it comes to uh, what they want to do to us. So we're going to begin our journey this morning, as you see on your notes, in Ephesians chapter 2. And then we're going to conclude in Ephesians chapter 2. So the book ends today, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So let's take our Bibles and turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I, if you're using a pew Bible, if you're visiting with us and you don't have a, a Bible or a device, there are Bibles in the pew, and I believe it's page 1818. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, that means, dead means no life. 
And uh, that means separation from God. No, no life in God, no relationship with God. Now look at verse 2. Dead in Christ, dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this, what's the next word, everybody? World. World. So that's, that's one of the, the enemies, the, the pressures that we face. And then it goes on to say, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan, the devil. And then verse 3, all of us also, in addition to pressure from the world, in addition to pressure from Satan, verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, and here it comes, gratifying the, the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Wow, that is powerful. These are the go-to verses uh, when it comes to the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is going to be um, the, James chapter 3 and 4 is strong, and it's a message we need to hear, and, and I think we need to begin and pray in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that through your spirit you inspire James to challenge us strongly with these words, but also to comfort and encourage us. And so I pray that your spirit will help us both to um, accept the challenge and the comfort, and that your spirit can do in us the work that you want to accomplish. Lord, um, thank you that we are not alone, that you are with us in this battle against this holy untrinity. Lord, we worship you and we praise you this morning. Speak to us, Lord, from uh, the pages of Scripture into our hearts, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn in our passage to James chapter 3 and 4. Again, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1884. This morning, on your notes, James asks a question, point A, that was a problem among Christ followers in his day and is a problem today. And here's the question. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. James asks, what causes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, let's go down to chapter 4, verse 2, and what James does is he repeats those two words, but he flip-flops them. So in verse 2, he says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and, and, and cover, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Fights and quarrels, quarrels and fights. And James is asking, what, what causes all of this stuff? What's its source? Now, in order to understand the seriousness of this question, in chapter 4, verse 1, we need to back up and look at the context. Now, remember, James didn't write with chapters, verses, right. So, but, but they were inserted for what reason? Our help. We need them. We, we need them because that's... To find our way around. That's, what, that's how we find our way around. So let's back up to uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And it says, it's talking about peacemakers who sow peace and they raise a, a crop, um, a harvest of righteousness. And that word righteousness just means rightness 
uh, with God. It's godly. And so what James is talking about, he's talking about peacemakers, and he's talking about peace, and then he slips right into chapter 4, verse 1. Instead, instead of peace, he is saying, what causes conflict and war among you? So he gives us a picture a bit of how things should be. He uses that word peace, and we think of shalom and the unity and harmony and oneness and completeness, and it's all available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it should be, but it's not that way, is it? No, our, our world today is marked with conflict, wars. There's global war. Last week, President Trump spoke before the United Nations, and he said, quote, major portions of our world are in conflict, unquote. There's fighting in the streets of America. There's conflict in our own community. There's bullying that goes on in our schools. There's warfare in the home. Now, I want you to notice the last two words of the question in chapter 4, verse 1. What are the last two words? Anybody? Among you. Those last two words, this is, what, this is what James is saying. He's not talking about the world or even our community. He is saying, what causes, instead of peace, what causes fights and wars in your heart to, to be expressed through what Tim shared last week, through the tongue, what causes these fights and quarrels within churches or church between churches or in the hearts of Christ followers who who claim Christ. So we talked about that last week. We started talking about it, that, that this division, these quarrels, it begins with the tongue, but, that's, but the tongue is a window of the heart. And so really the question is, what's driving our heart? Last week, we talked about what drives the tongue. It's the heart. And today we're going to go a little deeper, dig a little deeper, say, what's driving the heart that causes all these divisions and quarrels? So where's it coming from? What's the source? Well, the, the answer actually begins in chapter 3. So let's go back to chapter 3, and, and let's begin to look at the answer. All right, let's read together uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 4. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's classic James, isn't it? Show me. If there's wisdom from above, demonstrate it in your life. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder of every evil and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred to God? 
Let's go back to chapter 3 and let's zero in on verse 15 because James is giving us three answers to the source of conflicts, wars. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. James is saying such quote-unquote wisdom, tongue-in-cheek, does not come down from heaven, but here it is. This kind of wisdom that drives wars and conflicts is, first of all, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's of the devil. Many authors say that these three are in escalating order. In other words, you start off with the world, which is bad, then you go to unspiritual, which is badder, or worse, you could say, and then you go to the devil, which is the baddest. I'm using bad English, aren't I? Well, but you get the point, right? It's it's escalating to, to a crescendo. Here's the idea. When it comes to what in your, in your new, new International Version, it says um, earthly or the world, uh, its origin is not from heaven. This is not of God. It's, it's man-centered. There is no God. It's living for the here and now. There is no consideration of eternity. Uh, it's the basis of our education system, which is atheism and evolution, at least in our science classes, And it's driven by the values summarized by three P words. Um, Pleasure, possessions, and power. Pleasure, possessions, and power. I'd like to talk to the older folks here just for a moment. Uh, Who died this last Wednesday? Anybody? Hugh Hefner. The USA Today newspaper spent three pages on this guy. This guy is the one who introduced nudity, mainstream nudity, into our culture. And today, porn is an addiction. Here's an article here by an editor of the Playboy magazine for many, many years. And he wrote an article, said, so long, Hef, thanks for the gig. And then it's subtitled, my girlfriend hated it. But what could be better than writing about the playmate of the month? That's sick. It's earthly. It's talking about lusting pleasures. One one person on the news said Hugh Hefner was a man of, of sex, swagger, and sophistication. That's earthly thinking. Are you kidding me? Sophistication, opening a door into our culture, introducing that which now is an addiction across our country? Wow. Here's the battle. Either we're being conformed by the world's standards, the world's pleasures, the world's uh, approval, we're being pressed and conformed, or the battle is this, choosing to be transformed, Not, not being pressured from the outside, but being transformed from the inside out. 
And this is captured in Romans 12 too, where Paul said, do not be conformed to this what? To the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, which is really the battlefield. Let's read about this in chapter 4, verse 4. Look, look at the strong language that James is, is using. He said, you adulterous people. Remember, James is writing to Christ followers. He's writing to churches. And, and he said, you, you adulterous people, don't you know that when you flirt with the world, enticed by the world, friendship with the world, is actually hatred toward God. Strong. And he goes on to say, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Well, that's, that's, one, of our, that's one of our sources. That's one of, one of our enemies. So James is asking, what's the source of all these conflicts, of all this quarreling and fighting, all this deterioration of relationship, and one source is the world. It's out there. But there's another source that's inside, and it's the flesh. And we read in chapter 3, verse 15, that it's called un, what's unspiritual. It's not of the spirit. It's not of God. It's of the flesh. It's our sin nature. Other translations call it what's natural. Unfortunately, because of the fall, what comes natural to us is rebellion, not to follow God's ways, but to follow our own ways, and they are selfish and self-destructive ways. And so James uses all kinds of language that has to show how selfish it is. He talks about selfish ambition a couple of times. And, and don't you experience this, this inner need to compare and to compete and to get ahead, always trying to get ahead of others, and that's destructive. And he talks about the fact that we don't get what we ask for because we ask for wrong reasons. We want to just use God's blessing for our own personal pleasures. And so that, that's that flesh, that sin nature, that dynamic of sin inside of us. So we've, we've met the enemy, and he, <laughs> he is, is us. us. You know, we, we look inside at that. That's, that's the second source of evil that uh, creates conflicts in our lives. Well, there's a third enemy on your notes, and that is the devil. This is the crescendo of the escalating sources of, of the fights and quarrels among believers within a church, against church between church. There's an earthly way of looking at things, not heavenly. There's a a natural way and not, and not spiritual, and, and here we are uh, with the devil. He, here's what one author said about this third enemy. There is a wisdom, there is a wisdom that comes from hell. It's of the devil, yet it's a worldly wisdom. It, it's earthly, but the problem goes even deeper than the earth. This kind of wisdom is the complete antithesis of anything that is from God, it is subtly yet powerfully demonic. Now, my brothers and sisters, the Bible is crystal clear that Satan through his demonic angels has the ability to put thoughts into our minds. The world can put thoughts into our minds through our eye gate and our ear gate. But Satan is our spiritual enemy, also has the, can put thoughts into our minds 
And I want to I demonstrate this for you. Let, let's look at a couple of passages on the screen. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, but I, I'm afraid. Now, remember, he's writing to a church. He could be writing to this church. But I am afraid that just as Eve, in the same way that Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, now watch this, your minds may somehow be led astray from he's acknowledging that they love God, that they're Christ followers, that, that, that your minds may somehow be led astray from, from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How does Satan do that? How did he, how did he do it to Eve? By placing thoughts, doubts, and then lies and insinuations and accusations and degradations and, and all that kind of stuff that can go on. Is, is every thought in our mind from Satan? Of course not. Are some thoughts in our minds from Satan? Of course, yes. Let me show you another verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Don't, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's talking about in the inner person, in your heart, and in your mind. That, that word, foothold, is the strongest word in Paul's language that he could have used to, to try to describe what Satan can do in the heart and the life of a believer. Now, we have a tool we use in our church, and it's called Satanic Thoughts and Activities. And it's a list of verses where it shows very clearly how Satan can place thoughts in the human mind. And then on the backside, if we listen to those thoughts, it's like we're giving them permission to, to impact our daily living. And so on the backside, it's called satanic activity in the life of a believer. And there are 20 passages. So this is available out in the courtyard at the information booth. Be sure to pick this up. So you've been talking to us about that list for a number of years now. We've been thinking about that and working through it. And imagine my surprise, because I always thought, well, that's kind of the way Jay thinks, you know? And I was taking a counseling class at Grace Seminary a few months ago, and I'm flipping through the syllabus, and oh, <laughs> there was the very same list. And you know what? It's not a Jay thing. It's a Bible thing. I just know how Good to job. copy. So, you know, when I think about these three sources of conflict in our lives, the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, you know what comes to mind? The word bullies. They are, they are bullies. You ever been bullied? Uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, a guy named Van Killian beat the snot out of me when I was in elementary school. Yeah, how many other elementary school names do you remember? He made an impression on you, didn't he? No, I've forgiven him. You good? Yeah. Well, last, I, last week. I got, I, no, got, just kidding. I got punched right in the mouth one time in the playground. Of course, I think I probably said something to deserve it. So <laughs> I don't know if you've been bullied. Sometimes uh, it's not just playground at school, but maybe at work with a manager or a boss. And sadly, sometimes um, in school and in families, the bullying can take place. But you know, if, you may never have experienced any of that kind of bullying, but we've all experienced this kind of bullying, the bullying of the world, our own flesh. Crazy, there's an aggressive bully in us and the devil. And what they want to do is they want to get into the driver's seat of our hearts. Yeah. They want to take over and drive us to chaos and destruction. And they, they just love to ruin relationships. Ruin a relationship with God. Ruin a relationship with each other. They just love to ruin relationships. 
and they are aggressive, and they are big, and we can sometimes think, oh, I just can't stand against that. I give up or I give in, and, but we can't, we can't do that because there is hope. We have strong, strong help against these bullies, and that's what James is going to talk about now is what's the solution? There is a solution. We're going to talk about that solution in verses 5 through 7. What do we do about these bullies that want to take over our hearts? And I, I want to just have you see that there's such good news. There's so, much, mm-hmm. there's so much good here. You know, James lays it on pretty heavy, and it's pretty scary. Um, but, but now there's going to be some really great news. And it starts in verse 5 of chapter 4. And this evidently is a hard verse to translate. And the question is, there's, there's going to be a word used, a jealous or envy. And the question is, who is demonstrating jealousy or envy? Earlier in the passage, James had said that we believers can have a, a ambition and envy uh, in our hearts. And so some people translate this as a continued version of human envy. But actually, the best translation of it, and that's all the newer translations and all the commentaries that we read, it's not human envy, it's divine envy. God is jealous. And I really like the way the New Living Translation translated it. Check this out. This is what it says. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. God is passionate. He's envious. He's zealous. He's jealous that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. God desires us to be faithful to him. He doesn't want us to be friends of the world. He wants us with his whole heart to be faithful to him. I'm so glad for that. And he's all in on this. He's he's committed to us being wholeheartedly devoted to him. He's jealous and zealous for it. And here's how he's all in with it. I love this next phrase. Look at it. Chapter 4, verse (sighs) 6. But he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. I want to hug this verse. If I I just could, I'd hug this verse. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this wonderful truth that God gives us more grace. He gives us his favor, his power, his blessing, his help against these bullies. And that is extremely good news. That's the part he brings his wholehearted desire, his passion for us to be faithful to him, and he gives us grace to do that, but we got to do our part. And the the first thing we have to do is to just be humble, to be humble. Look at the rest of verse 6 there. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What what does it mean to be humble? Humble. Well, it it means to acknowledge this battle, to acknowledge this struggle, to acknowledge that we've got big, bad enemies that are stronger than us that we can't defeat in our own power. And instead of just trying to duke it out on our own, we, we turn to God in utter and complete dependence. We need you, God. And, um... James kind of describes this in really dramatic language uh, a few verses later. Look at, verse, um, look, at the, look at verse 8, but the second half of it. Verse 8, but the second half. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You people who think you can have your cake and eat it too, that you can be friends of the world and friends of God, take, take that seriously, acknowledge it, confess it, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, 
and he will lift you up. I mean, that is strong language. Again, kind of exaggerated language almost. But Jesus himself said, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn about what? Mourn about the sin in the world, but also mourn about the struggle and the sin in the heart. Jay, do you know what makes me sick? I think, I think what James is saying here is be sick about your sin. And when you're sick enough about your sin, you'll turn to God in utter dependence and you'll receive the grace you need uh, to, to, to work against it. But I'm, mm, I'm sick of the fact that I can be so fickle, that I can be unfaithful. I can pray earnestly and sincerely in the morning and in that afternoon do exactly the opposite of what I prayed. You know, we, we all identify with that because we all live within our own skin. So I'm talking about you too. Yeah, I'm, fr- I'm frustrated with that, but I, I can let that defeat me, or I can go to God and say, God, it makes me sick. It makes me frustrated. It makes me mad at myself. I'm, I grieve and mourn the fact that I can be so fickle. Please help me. And when we come with that attitude, he gives more grace. So we're talking about the solution uh, to the problem. Number one on your notes begins in your heart. Number five, in relation to God, but look at two, three, and four. There, there's, there's the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So number two, the second solution in relation to the world is to do what to God? Submit to God. Choose to do what God says. But that's the battle, isn't it? Now, what's, what's the word submit mean? How, how, how do you submit? What's it look like? Well, there are all kinds of words that we could place in place of submit. Agree or give in, accept. We sang about it this morning. I surrender all. How about relinquish, obey, or what Nike says, just do it, right? It's submitting to God, and that's the battle. That's the press between the world and its values and popularity for those of you who are students and, and, and choosing to submit to God. I, I, I appreciate the United States. I have, Jan and I have had the the opportunity, the privilege of, of, of living all over this world. And there's one thing about the United States. It is a submissive culture when it comes to driving. We really do obey. We do drive between the white lines, and that's not the case in every country. Submission. It's, it's how students should respond to teachers. It's how we should respond to our boss. It's how we should respond to the speed limit. My wife has given me the look. That's why I use my speed control. How about Ephesians 5.19? It says, submitting yourselves one to another. So we're talking about in relation to your heart, in relation to the world, and now a third solution. Yeah, in relation to our flesh, how do we submit to God? You know, there is a battle going on inside of us. And uh, Paul talks about that a lot in Galatians, that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are in opposition to each other. But he gives us the solution in in how we're supposed to deal with it. Take a look at some of these phrases out of Galatians 5 and 6. He says that we are to walk 
with the Spirit. And if we walk with the Spirit, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. He talks about sowing to the Spirit, and then we'll reap eternal life. And so it's, it has a lot to do with a relationship to the Holy Spirit. So this is how it looks in my life, maybe in your life, maybe in your lives. But when those fleshly, those sin nature temptations rise up in me, whether it's anger or anxiety or sensuality, when those things start to come up, I also hear another voice, a still small voice, and it's the voice of the Spirit through my conscience. And I tell God all the time, you can turn up the volume, man, if you want. I mean, blast it if you have to, but it always is a still small voice. And I have a choice right at that point, whether I'm going to submit or not. And what the crazy thing is, Jay, I still don't get it. I don't understand why God lets this happen, but, he, but he, he allows us to do that. We have the power to shut off that still small voice, just to say, shut up, turn off the switch. I'm ignoring you. I'm not listening to you. That we, that we can do that to the one who created the universe is bizarre, and yet we can. It's called quenching the spirit. So submitting in relationship to my flesh, submitting to the uh, me, to God means not quenching the spirit, not turning that voice off, but listening to that voice. It's the voice of sanity. My flesh is the voice of insanity. And if I'll keep that conversation going, and really it's about prayer, th then that's submitting to God. Because often th these temptations come when I'm alone, and then I have this conversation out loud to, to listen and to pray, and, and that's submission. Look at uh, the fourth solution. Now, we only can lay this out in sequence, but actually humbling yourself and, and submitting to God, it, it, it just, it, it's simultaneous in, in a way. But look at number four. Um, we're to humble ourselves, submit to God, submit to God, but in relation to the devil, we are to, what's the word there? We are to resist the devil. Submit to God resist the devil. You resist him with truth. Here's the bottom line, and it's what Kip has been saying. Who are you going to listen to? And when you turn off the devil's voice, you're resisting him. If you listen, Satan will want to tie you up into bondage, wearing a spiritual straitjacket, Take away your freedom in terms of your heart and your mind. Resist him. Let, let me give you an example of, of resistance from when we were in Cambodia. We were sharing this out in a village. And in front of every Cambodian hut is a pole with what is called a spirit house. If you looked at it, you'd say, well, it looks like a bird feeder. But it's actually the place where the evil spirits live. And they have this in front of every hut. And so every morning... They begin the day, every night, they begin the night by offering sacrifices and offerings and doing rituals at the spirit house. And we were sharing this as we were sharing with you. And, and this, this Cambodian man, he got up and he picked up a hatchet and, and he was all tatted up. Now God tells us to find our protection through the armor of God, but over there, the men find protection through ink. They believe that the tattoos that cover their torso is spiritual protection against the evil spirits. And so he picked up this hatchet, he turned around and looked at us, and we all tensed, 
And then he went over to his spirit house, and he just went, whack, man. He knocked that in one swing. He knocked that spirit house clean off the pole. The thing was just down on the, down on the dirt. And we walked up to him and said, would you like to chop that thing up and, and burn it? And he said, no, I'll do that tonight when I cook my rice. He had never heard the story of a creator God before, and he certainly had never heard the name of Yesu Kri, Jesus Christ, but he acted on the information he heard, and he resisted the devil. In your bulletins, we have mechanisms, we have opportunities here. We have people who have big ears, like Dumbo, and big hearts, and it's called um, discipleship counseling. Also in your bulletin is, is Freedom Group that begins this Thursday. If you want to talk to somebody about these issues, if, if the world, the flesh, and the devil's really got a grip, and, and you're having a hard time shaking loose, hey, it helps to talk to each other. Uh, we can encourage each other, so you can read about that in your bulletin. And that's a good reminder that uh, this solution is really never meant to be played out in isolation. We, ne we need each other. It's got to be done right. in community. There's one more, though, one more wonderful solution that God has given us in this, this conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's absolutely foundational. And it has to do with coming to God. What a, what a wonderful verse, verse 8 is. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When I was at Warsaw Christian School as a kindergartner, we were learning our ABCs, the alphabet, and for each letter there was a verse or a phrase from a verse, and the only one I remember is D. It, I remember the letter, D, well I remember all my letters actually, but, I, uh, but as far as the verse goes, letter D was draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as a kindergartner, I heard and knew this, it's taken me a long time to learn to practice it well, but I, it's absolutely fundamental that we need to come first to God. And what's wonderful is that it doesn't matter where you are in relation to God, how far away you are. He says, if you'll turn and draw near to me, I'll draw to you, near to you. I'll come running to you. But as far as those who believe in Jesus and walk with him, it needs to be a daily reality. I found that if there's going to be a battle for my mind in the day, and if I don't get my mind focused on what is true and right and, and draw near to God, then I'm in for trouble that day. Hey, I like my coffee mug. This is from a previous sermon series. Wake up first thing in the morning. Look up. Look to God. Offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Armor up and stand up. I, I need to have a pattern. What's your pattern and plan for drawing near to God? And then we practice it. And you know what? I'm not perfect with it, but I don't give up on it. I go right back to it. Uh, and persist in it, and it bears fruit. I'm just going to share with you my morning prayer. Finally, I wrote a morning prayer. try to read it every day. And, and it has to do with all these things we're talking about. Father, you are exceedingly better than all that you have created. I pray that your spirit would fill me and empower me all day. <laughs> all day, please, until I put my head on my pillow tonight to say no to the desires of my flesh, the world, and the devil that lead to death and decay and to say yes to the desires of your spirit who, lives, who, who leads to life. 
Help me to find my comfort in you because there is no comfort apart from you. Increase my desire for you. I need to say that to myself every morning. It's drawing near to God and he'll draw near to you. Does this stuff really work? Or is this this theory? Let's look at the results. James 4, 7 and 8 says Satan will flee to you. Look, 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 look at the contrast on your notes in terms of the result. Satan will flee from you and God will come close to you. Just the words Satan will flee from you gives a clear indication that there's involvement, there can be involvement in your, in your heart and mind. Satan will flee. This result begs the question, why does Satan have to flee from little old me? Well, let's conclude by going back to Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at verses 1 through 3. Let's continue with verses 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's remind ourselves about our condition, our spiritual condition, before we were made alive. In verse 1, as for you, you were dead, dark, blind, no spiritual life, separated from God. And then verse 4, but, that's a great word, but, always sets up a contrast, but because of his great love for us, God who is a zingdillionaire rich in mercy. Now watch this. Number one, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. Number two, raised us up. We have three us's here. Number one, he, he made us alive. Number two, he raised us up. And then verse 6, number 3, and seated us with him. That is the same chronology that happened to Christ physically. He was dead, buried, stone cold dead, on a slab, three days. And the first thing that happened is that Jesus was made alive, and then he was raised up, and then he ascended physically into heaven and sat down on his throne of authority at the right hand of the Father. That same sequence, it happens to us spiritually. Inside, we're, we're made alive, we're raised up, but what is this seated all about? You are sitting here this morning physically, but in terms of your spiritual identity, the way God looks at you, you are sitting with Jesus. Now, in our country, the highest court is called the what? Court in, in Washington, D.C. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. Jesus is sitting on the cosmic Supreme Court. And if you are in Christ, you are sitting with him. Your feet dangle next to his feet because you're sitting on the same seat. And that co-seatedness with Christ is not just your spiritual position. This is your legal position. This is a judicial position. 
because Jesus is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And so when you resist the devil, you're doing it from, from a legal, judicial position that is binding. And when you do this transaction, Satan must flee from you. He will flee from you. Let me show you how Tom Julian wrote this in The Three Princes. Tom wrote on page five, we outrank the devil and his entire host of evil powers. That's true. We just have to understand it, believe it, live it, and do it. Look at page 137. Tom says, we outrank Satan and all of his angels. Look at page 145. We who are the Lord's emissaries advance with assurance. We don't, we don't need to be afraid and timid and shy. With assurance that as ambassadors of Christ, we are in him. We are in Christ. That's our standing. Outranking Satan and his angels even in our weakest moments. That's why Satan must flee. It begins with humility in your heart. As Kip said, just go ahead and admit it. Man, do we struggle on a daily basis, don't we? We do. And we, we admit it to ourselves. We admit it among our pastors. I remember Kip once at pastoral leadership team. He said, man, I've, I've, I've been struggling for months. He brought it out. We talked like this. And so we humble ourselves, we submit, and we resist, and Satan will feed, flee, and God will come close. There may be someone here this morning who does not know Christ. Um, you, you're not in relationship with God. You're, you're still dead, separated, dark, blind, spiritually. That was J-Bell. On March 17, 1970, I was... I was 18 months out of Vietnam. How many of you have been watching the Vietnam series on PBS, anybody? I was 18 months out of Vietnam. I met a Vietnam veteran here. He's visiting our church today. He was with the 82nd Airborne. I, I, was, I, was, I was drifting. I was guilty. I was angry. I was confused. I didn't know which end was up. And then the next day, God invaded my life when I invited him in. There may be someone here today who, who has not come to that point. And so you're being pressed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and I, I want to ask you a question, but I, I, I don't want it to be, it, it's not condescending, but I just want to ask, how's it working for you? Are you able to take on the world, the flesh, and the devil? How's it working? Let God do it for you, in you, and through you. And so this morning, if you're bound up as a believer, come and talk to us, or discipleship counseling, or the freedom group. If you want to begin this walk of victory, relationship with God, just come down and talk to us.